What a day this is today. It's several things uh, combined into one. It's Memorial Day, it's Graduation Day, and it's also the day that we celebrate in the church calendar known as Pentecost Sunday. Give me just a, a second to give you what I call my, my nickel tour of Pentecost. Pentecost, the 50th day, is the Greek name for Shavat, the Feast of Weeks, which is a prominent feast in the calendar of ancient Israel celebrating the giving of the law to Moses on, on Mount Sinai. This feast is still celebrated in Judaism as Shavat. Later in the Christian liturgical year, it became a feast commemorating the descent of or the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the others that were gathered near the upper room as described in the book of Acts. And for this reason, Pentecost is sometimes described by many Christians as the birthday of the church. It was the foundation, the beginning point of the church. So I think we should say to ourselves today, happy birthday. Let's say it. Happy birthday to the church. Pentecost can also refer to the whole 50 days between Easter and Pentecost, Pente, 50. And Pentecost is celebrated 50 days after Easter Sunday and hence its name. And so here we are today. And though it's not going to be our anchor text today, and I, I won't speak uh, incredibly long today, hopefully, it does seem appropriate for us to uh, acknowledge this second chapter of Acts on this day. I think it's very uh, necessary for us to remind ourselves of what took place on what we call the day of Pentecost. Let's read it in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues, or some versions say cloven tongues, as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred... The multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are, are, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it then that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And, and then it goes on to list so many of these countries where they were born. Verse 11 says, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. How many know anytime God moves, there's going to be somebody standing around to mock what's taking place? That's always the way it's been. Someone's got to try to figure out why it's not what it appears to be. They said they're full of new wine. But, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that. I love the way the, uh, the uh, King James says it. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I had, I had a moment here not too long ago, actually, as we were sharing last week about the word that was given to Bethesda um, through Edith Little, the missionary, and she began to say things that were taking place, and I, I started sharing with some of my friends some of those things. And I, honestly, church, without hyping this up in any way, I have the strong sense that Bethesda is on the verge of a this-is-that moment. 
there has been a word hanging over us for a long time. And God is beginning to fulfill and seeing things happen and, and even more things that we're going to be able to share in the weeks to come that is just, it's coming our way. It's not the result of someone getting up and doing something. It's not the result of any particular initiative on our part. But the Lord seems to be creating things. And I don't know about you, but I want to be right in the midst of a this is that moment. And I'm thankful the Lord is smiling on us. Can you say amen to that today? But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know what this does to you when you hear this. Just reading a passage like this, as I was just pouring over it in the, this week and preparing for this, just reading about a passage like this, it stirs the passion of my heart and causes me to want to lift my gaze from the small things of life to the bigger picture. Church, we are a part of something that is much larger than we are. We are a part of something that the Lord is doing in the earth. The picture is big, the plan is big, and we are just privileged to be a small part of the whole thing. And I just say, oh God, give me the ability to lift my gaze from the, the mundaneness of life or the routine of life and the things that can so easily cause me uh, to get my, my head and focus in a particular way to see that he's wanting to pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. And that's what it, it says here. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to do so much more than we can even, even imagine or think. So I would just say this to you, if you are somehow today caught in the quagmire of routine or drenched in the boredom of everyday living and therewith blinded to the reality of the bigger picture of what God is doing and wanting to do in the earth, this passage reminds us that we are part of something bigger than we are. Hallelujah. Part of something that has momentum. It has forward motion. We're not stuck in the past. We're not even stuck where we are right now. There's a, a forward motion of what's taking place as we hear Peter speaking life to the crowd gathered there, quoting the prophet Joel, saying, here's what God's going to do. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to show wonders. And the terrific thing is whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then when you see it begin to happen, when all of a sudden you can see, with, uh, see in a way you didn't see before and you become aware of things you didn't become, that you weren't aware of before, it literally takes your breath away. And I don't know how you feel about it today, but I know the cry of my heart in 2015 with all the strange things happening in our world, with all the things that are going on that's happening, my, our cry ought to be, open the eyes of our heart, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Who's with me? in that today. Let that be our cry. Open the eyes of my heart. Don't let us miss the grandeur of what you are doing because we get somehow get so absorbed in our own selfish issues and our, our self-centered problems that we have. And it's so easy to let that beset us. It's so easy to let that blind us. Lord, open our eyes to see what you are doing in the earth today. I want to be a part of what God is doing today. And I know you do too. Let us not be consumed by 
the standards of the world or the spirit of the age or be consumed, uh, but, but rather be consumed for passion for this world for which he is consumed by. There's a song we used to sing, to be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray, to be used of God, to show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. If I do nothing else today in these few minutes, I'm going to share with you, but just somehow ignite any sort of passion in you in case the, the, the flame has become a flicker. If I can ignite any passion within you to say, Lord Jesus, if in any way I have allowed that to diminish the passion for what you're doing in the earth today, Lord, do something within me. Fan the flame within me. So the question then rings out today. Midst all the problems that we have, midst all the things that consume us that want to take our time, the question rings out to all of us today, who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? And oh God, I pray that you give all of us a desire to see what you are doing and then give us eyes to see. So the question also is, what's the purpose of Pentecost? Is it to divide the church of Jesus into Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals? Let me just remind you, Pentecost is the name of a feast. Nowhere in the Bible will you hear it used or see it used as the name of a people. It's the name of a feast. Only in the early 1900s did the name Pentecostal become attached to those believers who were experiencing renewal as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit which came upon Azusa Street in Los Angeles. What was the purpose? Was, was, the, was the purpose of Pentecost to give a name to a people group? No. Was the purpose of Pentecost to make us weird? Some of you, like me, have seen all kinds of manifestations or all kinds of expressions, spirit-driven, some fleshly, some and otherwise. But let me tell you this, God's goal when He touches us, God's goal when He does something inside of us is not to make us weird. God's goal is to bring us back to normal. Can I tell you that Christianity is a call back to normal? I don't think Christianity is meant to make us weird. I think it's meant to make us what we were meant to be. And what Pentecost did, as we're going to move into the next chapter, chapter 3, which we will use as our focus uh, verse today, it was to get them back on schedule. And here we see uh, in chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Acts, we see Peter and John going to the temple at the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, to the prayer service. The Jews prayed three times a day. History has it that this practice was instituted by the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham instituted prayer in the morning. Isaac was the one responsible for initiating prayer in the afternoon, and Jacob the evening prayer. And so here are Peter and John, and though they've experienced the arrival of the Holy Spirit uh, and, and, and with a group of 120, it did not change their schedule. They are right back at it. They're right back to, to their normal life. But though they went right back to the ordinary, here's what we must understand. They didn't go back into it the same way that they came from it before. They went now, they were men with eyes to see. Eyes to see because of what had taken place when the coming of the Holy Spirit. They'd had this incredible experience. But their jobs didn't stop or suddenly didn't cause them to be unemployed. And God didn't say, now I want all of you to go into the ministry. It wasn't that at all. God sent them back into normal life, and though something had happened to them when the Holy Spirit came. 
You know, so often our desire is uh, just to linger when God touches us. Many of us have been in circumstances where we have our services or our prayer groups where we have sensed God's presence in such a dynamic way, and there's this strong urge to, to, to linger, just like Peter who wanted to stay upon the Mount of Transfiguration. And God says, no, 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 the intention is not to keep you up here. We brought the Matthew chapter to you a few weeks ago to see that there were two things happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. One, the Transfiguration was happening at the top of the mountain before Peter, James, and John. And the other thing is what was happening in the valley. There was a demon boy that the other disciples could not get set free. What was happening at the bottom of the mountain was just as important as what was happening at the top of the mountain. And when Peter said, let's build three tabernacles here, Jesus said no. He vehemently opposed that because there was a demon boy down at the bottom of the mountain that needed to be set free. So the goal was not to build some kind of shrine to an incredible experience. The goal was to say, what happened to you up here in the Mount of Transfiguration had better translate into life when you go back down to the valley. Selah. Real Christianity, church, can translate into the workplace. Real Christianity can translate into your social life. Real Christianity can translate into every aspect of your personal life. Real Christianity is not meant just for the pews that you sit in on Beach Street in Fort Worth. Can I tell you, real Christianity can work at Bell Helicopter. It can work at General Dynamics. It can work at TCU and UTA and UNT and TCC and at American Airlines. When you are a real Christian, you can touch places that you could never have touched before because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 1, puts them back into real life and puts them back on schedule. And I want you to please notice with me what didn't happen in the Pentecostal experience, at least in the Bible. They never memorialize the room where it took place. They never talk about the room again. From chapter 3 onward, you never hear it mentioned again. You didn't hear that it was roped off so people could walk by and look at this incredible thing that had happened. They didn't tell, sell t-shirts with tongues of fire on them. No. It was a moment that God touched them. And then God essentially said, but you can't stay here. You can't memorialize this place. I've got to send you back into regular living because now you will have eyes to see. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Church, this reminds us that we can't live in the past. You cannot live in the past. God is ever calling us onward and forward. For the path of the justice is a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. You may have had an incredible spiritual encounter 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it, whatever it was. But the question to you is, what is the Lord saying to you today? What is the Lord doing in you today? What is fresh in you today? How is his life being manifest in you today? What is the purpose of Pentecost? The purpose of Pentecost is to give us eyes to see. And the Holy Spirit invigorates and energizes the life of Jesus within you to cause you to see things and, yes, even to know things and to speak things that you otherwise would not have known, all for the glory of the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verse 2. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking, 
to receive alms. Now, there's something that really stood out to me in this, and I, I want to be sure we don't miss it today. Sometimes in our uh, American thinking, uh, and we, we put the American, we project our American way of thinking onto the Scriptures, we sometimes miss what's really being said or communicated here. Understand there's one temple. There's not 20 temples in town. This is not the Bible Belt where we have churches on every street corner. There's one temple, and here is a man, a layman, who they set down there. What does the Bible say? Every day. He's been there every day, in this one place, every day. So get this, every good Jew, including Peter and John, went to the temple every day to pray at 3 p.m., and they passed by that same man every day. Then why is it that this day that we just read about in Acts chapter 3 is any different than all of the other days? It's because something has happened to these guys. They see the guy every day, except this time they see him with eyes to see, or they see him with new eyes, because that's what Pentecost did for them. Church, what the Holy Spirit does is it can remove this cynical, hardened, crusty, critical, and stereotypical heart that would say this to someone that we would pass by. Well, if I give him money, he's just going to spend it on alcohol. Well, if I give him money, he's going to spend it on drugs. And we walk by with our cynical and our critical and our, and our hard hearts, and we profile the guy while having no idea this could be that guy's day for a miracle. But Pentecost gave them eyes to see. They no longer see him as a beggar. They no longer see him as the same guy that they've seen for years. On this day, after the day of Pentecost, something happens when the man does what he does and he asks for money. And now with eyes to see, they view this man completely differently. It's, it's like what C.S. Lewis said in Weight of Glory when he said, every person is in the process of becoming an eternal being. The dullest person that you know and the most uninteresting person that you ever talk to will one day live forever. So there are no ordinary people. Everyone you come in contact with is immortal the ones you joke with, the ones you work with, the person that you may even snub at work, or the person that you've exploited will forever live in one of two places. But when we don't see them with eyes to see, we, just, we don't see them that way. We tend to ignore them. However, the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us eyes to see so that when we look upon the common, when we look upon the ugly, when we look upon the downcast or the disenfranchised, suddenly we see it in a way that the Lord would see it and not with just with our hardened eyes. What the Holy Spirit does is to look at the same person that you've seen every day, church, at Starbucks or, or McDonald's or, or Walmart or the dry cleaner, and he says, now you can see them differently. Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, people become an inconvenience to us. We're ready to get them out of our way. To have a, a beggar at the gate called beautiful, which is right as you're going into the outer court, you know, beggars know exactly where to plant themselves. They know which restaurant to wait out. They know which intersections are the best. And they always seem to know where you're going to be. And so without eyes to see and without the work of the Holy Spirit, they can become an inconvenience. And they can set you off your track and, or make you go out of your way so that you won't come in contact with them. Or, and I'm not, only, not only beggars, but just people that are an inconvenience to you. And so that's what Peter and John are faced with. And God goes on this day when the work of the Holy Spirit gives you eyes to see. And look at this. He began asking, the beggar did, began asking to receive alms, which is probably the same thing he's done for the last 15 years or more. Verse 4 of chapter 3. 
But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him. Notice that word. Notice the new eyes to see. The same circumstances they've walked in for many, 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 every day for years. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him, and he said, look at us. What does that imply to you? It implies to me that the man was so downcast, he wasn't even looking at them. He wasn't anticipating anything. He wasn't expecting anything. But the disciples said, look at us. He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. If you go down into chapter 4, you see that this man was at least... He had to at least be in his 40s. Chapter 4, verse 22 confirms that to us. And I have to ask myself the question, how many times has my cynical, my critical heart kept someone who was ready to be the person to praise God? How often have I, because I didn't have eyes to see, how often have I kept someone from worshiping and leaping and jumping before the Lord? Because I don't have the wherewithal to stop and look with eyes to see. And that's why I'm saying today on this Pentecost Sunday of 2015, Lord, let me not see them as a beggar. Let me not see them as just a cashier at the drugstore. Let me not see them as the dry cleaner or even a street person. Lord, don't let me see them as black or Jewish or Hispanic or white or Asian. Let me see them the way you see them. Give me eyes to see today. Let me see in them that beggar or that person who has the potential of jumping and leaping and praising God. If I go on, just go on with business as usual, then I've got a crippled man here and things just go on as normal. And we can ah, snuff that off. But if God can get my eyes to see and I stop, I go, wait a minute, hold on. You have the potential for the work of God to come upon you, sir, ma'am, because I'm able to see you now with eyes that see I view you differently. I saw the man every day, but the work of the Holy Spirit, what he does is it changes us. It changes us, and now the ordinary has the possibility of becoming extraordinary. So what happens to you, church, when you see someone who looks like this? What happens to you? Depressed, someone that's broken, miserable in life. You look at that and you say, well, this obviously their misery has led them to make lots of wrong life choices. We might see someone just like that and decide, if I see her coming at me, I think I'm going to go the other way. She probably has issues that I don't know how to deal with or certainly don't want to deal with. I don't see a lot of potential there, do you? I don't see a lot of hope for a bright future there, do you? I don't see that. In the desperation of her existence, let me tell you, this girl runs with the wrong crowd. She gets introduced to meth. She gets addicted. She ends up in jail time after time after time. But I want you to know today, church, that because of the power of the, of the Holy Spirit, because when Jesus comes through the Holy Spirit, he gives you eyes to see. Someone had eyes to see beyond the darkness of that picture and could see a young lady walking and leaping and praising God. Chelsea, where are you? Come here.
where's the shout of praise in this house today? Hallelujah. Church, may the Lord give us eyes to see what he can do. What he can do. Give us just a couple sentences of what's happened to you. Just tell us what's happened to you. Put the mic way up. Well, uh, my probation required me to come to Teen Challenge, and I was literally doing it just to just to get through it, you know, because that's what was required of me. But um, coming to Teen Challenge, I found I mean, I found God. I gave my life to God, and He has changed me from the inside out. He has made me whole. I'm free. I'm loved. With eyes to see someone jumping and leaping and praising God that otherwise look desperate. I have a very dear friend that many of you know who is a prolific songwriter, Jaron Davis. He's written, We Are Standing on Holy Ground, When Redeemed I Shall Stand, oh, so many others. Jaron and I have worked on recording projects since the early 80s. He's a dear, dear friend, and I'll never forget we were working on a project, and he would be the songwriter, and I was the arranger, orchestrator, and, and uh, Jaron's a real creative type, and create, creativity hits him about midnight, <clears throat> which doesn't always work for me, but nonetheless, we make it work, and um, I'll never forget, Jaron's the type, he likes to, it's, it's always, a, the song is always a work in progress. He might just write the chorus, or he just might write the bridge, or, or whatever, and then he'd say, let, let me just, let me, just, let me run this by you. How's this hitting you? What, what do you think? And he would ask me, you know, what I think. I was usually thinking, you need to get it done, is what you need to do, <laughs> and get it to me. I didn't always say that. I'll never forget the day that he called me. He said, Dan, I, I, I've got a chorus, and I, you know, I, 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 tell, me, tell me what you think. And, he, and it says, went like this. He said, it's, it goes like this. Beautiful. That's how mercy saw me. Though I was broken and so lost, mercy looked past all my faults. The justice of God. My sin had separated me. Everything I had done wrong kept me from being in the presence of a holy God. The justice of God saw what I had done. But mercy saw me with a different set of eyes. Mercy saw me through the sun. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. Jaron said, Pastor Brent and Arthur, if you would come. He said, so what do you think? <clears throat> I had to take a pause and said, I think I need to slap you is what I think. Can I just tell you, that's a term of endearment in music language, okay? It really is a, one of the nicest things you can possibly say. <clears throat> I, think it's, I, I think it's ridiculous, which is another big compliment. Not only is it masterfully crafted from just a lyrical songwriting skill, and not only is it all of that, but what it says, the justice of God saw what I had done, but mercy saw me through the sun, not what I was, 
but what I could be. Church, what am I trying to communicate to you today? I'm trying to communicate that the Holy Spirit has come to give us the ability to see things that we would not otherwise see. Not what I was. You and I look upon people, we see them for what they are, how they present themselves today. But the Lord wants to give us eyes to see them not just for who they are, but for who they could be. That's how mercy saw me. What is the purpose of Pentecost? Is it just to speak in tongues? The gift of tongues is a wonderful thing. It was Paul who said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And I tell you, I am personally so grateful for the gift of a prayer language. There are those moments when my words fail me, but my spirit can cry out to God as deep calleth unto deep. My prayer language is such a help to me in my, my life of praise to God. It is such a help in those moments of pouring out my heart to God. And I know this, that some of you at this very point in life today, in this season of your life, you are so hungry for more. You're so hungry and ready for something else. Yes, you're saved. You've given your life to Jesus. You know what it is to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but something within you is saying, is there more? And I'm telling you this, yes. Have you received since you believed is the question. And the Holy Spirit is here for you to receive today. Can I just say, if that's you, wherever you are in that process, some of you, you've just become aware that, that you have a hunger for more of Jesus and more of what God has for you, and He wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Some of you have been hungry for a long, long, long time, maybe hung up over this or hung up over that, or whoever told you the tongues weren't for today. Somebody told you this, somebody, somebody told you that. I've seen so many people get tripped up over the fact that they think some outside force is going to take control of their tongue. And it, I just want to tell you, it's going to be your tongue, it's going to be your mouth, but as you seek the Lord Jesus and ask you Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, then you can just begin to speak as He baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful for the gift of tongues as I am grateful for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But what's the purpose of Pentecost? We have to go by what Jesus said in Acts 1.8 when he said, but you will receive power. The word is dunamis or dunamin. It's the word from which we get our word dynamite. A powerful, explosive force. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I need to ask you today, where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Judea? Where is your Samaria? Who is in your smallest circle? Who is it then that you see on a daily basis, that you see regularly? Who is it whose face is becoming in, in your mind right now as I speak? Who is it that you come in contact with, maybe only occasionally, as you reach out a bit further? That's what that scripture is telling us. Whose name is God dropping in your heart right now? Well, just think for a second. Tomorrow's a holiday, but on Tuesday, you're going to be back on schedule. The alarm will ring. You'll be dealing with kids, particularly if they're out of school. You're going to get in the car. You're going to head to work. Or you'll possibly go on to school if you're still finishing or go to campus or go to the office. Some of you moms will go grocery shopping and interact with the butcher or the cashier or a bank teller. 
And I'm just simply reminding all of us this morning that the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us eyes to see. Eyes to see the world, your world, in a way you cannot see it without the Holy Spirit. God, could that bank teller have a praise inside of her that you're going to use me to bring forward tomorrow? God, what about that professor? What about that supervisor that I work for? Church, what name is God putting on your heart today during this message? Whose face comes to your mind? What person? Maybe it's someone that you see every day, but you don't even know, you don't even know their name. They're, they're the pharmacist, Starbucks person, the bank teller. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and send us from this place with eyes to see. Let's stand together, church. So what does that mean, Dan? How does that start? Maybe it starts with something as simple as a smile. Because as you go about your day today and your, and your tomorrow and you're back into your routine on Tuesday, with whomever you see, whomever God places in your path, as you say, Holy Spirit, come upon me. Give me eyes to see what you have in mind. Maybe it'll be a smile. Maybe it'll be a, just an acknowledgement of that person. Maybe it will be a hello. Maybe it's as simple as not seeing them as an inconvenience. But now you can see them as a miracle waiting to happen, even the one that looks so impossible. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and he began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God.